Welcome to MindLob, the hive mind antidote for conservative Christians that want to form their own conclusions. And now your host, Ken Carroll. Welcome back to MindLob. Thank you so much for listening. On this episode, we're going to discuss Genesis chapter 3 and the Matrix. As you know, one of my contentions is that the book of Genesis was created by God to speak to all nations, cultures, regardless of their time and space and their beliefs, regardless if they're accurate or inaccurate. And uh, so something that's kind of interesting is when we start to dive into Genesis chapter 3, there is a big point of contention when we start to breach into it. Because this is where we're introduced with the term day. And day in Genesis, by some followers of Genesis, they would contend that those are 24-hour literal days. And others would contend that they are long periods of time. Others would contend that they are just bookends to, as a point of reference. And the time period is irrelevant. And so part of this, you know, is trying to discern exactly what God is trying to convey to us as humans and what we should derive out of it and then what's something we should not derive out of it. Because I think this is fairly important. Uh, You know, for example, if you take uh, Ken Ham's crew, they're adamant that they should be 24-hour literal days. And uh, if you take uh, Hugh Ross, for example, he would argue that they are long periods of time. And uh, so that's just two variations. And of course, you have theistic evolution. Uh, you have the gap theory, where there is a gap between 1 1 and 1 2. And then the days segment uh, in different varying ways, depending upon the interpretation within there as well. So all these make interesting conversations. And unfortunately, sometimes the language gets a little militant between different groups of believers. And sometimes atheists, they'll tag onto a certain interpretation and then attack it. You know, for example, they'll make fun of the idea, you know, of uh, 24-hour literal days within Genesis. And, of course, they're basing it upon the current belief system of the world today. But I have an interesting line of thought I'd like to share with you. So, I don't know if any of you have ever heard of Nick Bolstrom, but basically around, uh, I think around 2004-ish, what he did was he came up with the idea that the world that we live in, our realm that we live in, is a simulation, a computer simulation. And if you get back to some of uh, Chuck Missler, uh, Koinonia House, what you would find is that he kind of alludes to the idea that, you know, light and things of that nature uh, appeared to be coming to us in packets of data, like uh, computer code. And uh, so I don't know, you know, where Bolstrom got this idea, but basically what he did is started looking at the universe, and his contention was that it's a simulation. It's like a virtual reality or something of that nature. And if you look at, like, say, for example, Elon Musk, I pulled up a quote earlier 
and one of his quotes is there is a one in billions chance we're in base reality now now check out what he says here this is uh, Elon Musk as you guys probably have heard of him the strongest argument for us being in a simulation probably being in a simulation is the following 40 years ago we had pong two rectangles and a dot that was what games were now 40 years later we have photorealistic 3d simulations with millions of people playing simultaneously and it's getting better every year and soon we'll have virtual reality augmented reality if you assume any rate of improvement at all the games will become indistinguishable from reality so what we're seeing is the constant um, exploration of the origin and the meaning of the realm in which we live and we're placed. And so from this simulation hypothesis, what a lot of people are contending is we could be in a prison planet, uh, we could be in a simulation, and what he meant by a base simulation was that the base would be like the ultimate objective core reality. And then within that reality, as sentient beings become more and more aware and technology naturally evolves, then what happens is they start to create their own virtual reality. And so what you would have is the base reality, and then they create a simulation, and then that group creates a simulation, and so there are multiple simulations running within simulations. And so what Elon Musk is saying, the probability of us being in that base, the original reality, is highly unlikely. Now, then if you take that and you go, uh, I forget where it's at, but I was listening to uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson. And one of the things that he was saying was they was, you know, he was intrigued by this uh, virtual uh, reality theory. And he was talking to one of his, I forget who the guy was. But basically, they're beating up these ideas, and one of the things that they said was, well, this can't be true because of the computations that it would require within a virtual reality, within a virtual reality, that the amount of processor speed and everything would get compounded and compounded, and then pretty soon, it would just be an overwhelming amount of data for it to process. Now, what I find very interesting about that is that First of all, this is very common to the human condition, the one that we all live in. First, we're trying to figure out what is this reality, and then what we do is we take it from the perspective of interpretation. You know, like if you take uh, Charles Darwin, and you know he extrapolates on the Galapagos finches. And then comes up with this, you know, concept that we're all uh, derived from the same thing. And then somehow life was sparked. And, and so we got all these question marks, you know, that uh, are in uh, uh, natural evolution, materialism. But, you know, then we fast forward to today and now we've got this technology that we're looking at. And now you have people going, hold on a minute. This really looks like we're in a simulation and so you're seeing a new generation reinterpret the world around us in respect to what we're discovering 
And so what that would mean is that if the, the simulation hypothesis is true, then materialism, you know, has some real issues. And uh, so, you know, it's, it's always been my contention that the scriptures were written in a way to where no matter which way mankind would go, that God had pre-planned, you know, whatever free will mechanisms, both collectively and individually, influence the direction in which we go, that the scriptures would form fit those uh, transitions, regardless if they're inaccurate or inaccurate. So, for example, if you were to take the uh, simulation hypothesis, and let's say that is true, well, can scripture stand within that? And if it's false, can scripture stand within that too? And what's really interesting is the answer is, is scripture can stand. It can stand within any of these frameworks very well, as a matter of fact, while all the other views cannot stand as well. Now, what's also interesting was when I was listening to Neil deGrasse Tyson talk about the simulation hypothesis and then derive based upon the uh, way computer code is written and the complexity of computer code that, you know, he, he you know, he's having a good time with this guy and at the end of the day what he did was he says, hey, but hold on a minute, due to the complexity of the code and simulations running within simulations, then therefore there can't be multiple simulations running because of the the amount basically it would tax on the overall system. And what's interesting about that is all these conclusions and derivatives and ideas are all based upon our current understanding of computer technology. And so if you're assuming that we have all those variables figured out, then you could say, okay, that's reasonable. But it's also possible that we've not even begun to explore technology and perhaps there's a technology out there that is well beyond the uh, current human comprehension of computer code and how it works and how it functions. And so what you're seeing is, you know, one of the people that we herald as one of the, you know, really top thinkers in our world today also is succumbing to the idea of interpreting something like the simulation hypothesis through the lens of computer technology as we understand it today rather than looking at it from a conceptual standpoint and then understanding that perhaps we don't understand computer technology and, and it's in its infancy, which in reality it is in its infancy, just because of exactly what Elon Musk said. Forty years ago we were dealing with two rectangles and a ball and now we're dealing with photorealistic uh, video games. So we have some dominant thinkers in our day. You know, we have Elon Musk and we have materialist and we have theist. And so we're already seeing a collision of ideas about the origin of the universe or how it functions or, you know, all these type of questions. And we're seeing that they are coming from a standpoint of utilizing five senses and then trying to come up with an interpretation based upon what we currently understand. So then how does this tie in with Genesis in chapter 3? So what we see in Genesis is we have this word day and this word day 
in Hebrew is the word yom. You know, for those of you who've researched this, you probably are aware. And if it's used in certain contexts, then it can mean an ordinary day. And if you use it in other contexts, it could be a period of time. And then, of course, you have interpretations within the context of the language itself. And so, even with Hebrew scholars, you see that there are debates about what exactly Yom is, what exactly the day is. And then you'll have things like a, a young earth literalist who would take it as a 24-hour period would accuse someone who takes it as a long period of time as being influenced by current scientific understanding, which I think is a fair, um, a fair uh, assessment. Now, I don't know if it would be uh, an assessment in its entirety, because again, when you go back and listen to different scholars, they would say that they interpret it differently. And, you know, even have some church fathers who would say, you know, I, I think it may have been instant, but, you know, if not, I would go based on this. And so you see this kind of rattling around these ideas of day and, uh, yeah. So if we take that and, you know, kind of put that in your pocket, and then we were expanding on that a little bit, and then we were to go back to Chuck Messler, and you start to look at the language, what you would see within the language of the days minus the seventh day is the phrase the evening and the morning. And uh, so what's interesting about that is, you know, you would say, okay, well, the evening and the morning was the first day, the evening and the morning were the second day, etc. And so what you'd find from the fundamentalist is they would say, well, that's how Hebrew people considered it an ordinary day, but that would be a 12-hour interpretation. And so when they say that they perceive the word day, Yom, it's an ordinary 24-hour day, but then they, they make a, the assumption that the evening and the morning is based upon their culture at the time, then what you're seeing is that they're transcending culture within their usage of the word day, but then they're kind of captive to their culture with the evening and the morning. So what you would see is people like Chuck Missler, what they would do is look at that evening and the morning, and their, their claim is that there is room within evening and morning to account for the concept of chaos to organization. And so the uh, rather than it being a, a bookend of time, a 12-hour period, it would actually be describing the condition of the world as it was. And uh, so you got that concept, but then if you were to take it to, say, uh, Hiros's perspective, Hiros's perspective would, would take it from that to long periods of time, and then he would change where God's perspective was on those days. And so when he talks about let there be light, what we're talking about is creating, um, conditioning our uh, atmosphere to allow for a translucency and light to, light to get through to the earth and things of that nature. So as you can see, there is just a lot of ways to kind of soak in Genesis. And, um, uh, so, so, you know, there's not just this whole idea of a 24-hour deal. So then if we look at it and we say, okay, does Genesis stand up 
if we start to jettison materialism, which again, the reason I reject materialism is not because uh, on a theological basis, I reject it because I just think it's preposterous to think that there is this code that not only creates hardware from software and the software is all accidental, but also it doesn't have a blueprint of what it's trying to create. And then there's all these just happy accidents that happen in mutations that piggyback on each other. And the transitionals that we have, although they seem like they're, they're interesting from a macro level, but once you start to get down on a cellular level and look at how they would have to compound on each other, and then they would also have to uh, co coincide with a plan for different components that rely on each other for them to work. It just completely blows it out of the water. And again, I can't see how you can reconcile that. And I've yet to read anybody that does it. And it seems to be more anecdotal at a certain point. And it falls back on the traditions of man where we bully and do things of that nature in order to try to convince people that that is a true belief. But what's interesting is if the simulation hypothesis is accurate or if mankind goes more in that direction, what we find is that the Bible can perfectly function within the framework of the simulation hypothesis just as easy as it could within the framework of materialism. I mean, there are people that are um, uh, both believe in both evolution and the Bible, and they think that there is room in there for it. Again, I, I can't see that. I think you're doubling down on two religions is what, what I personally believe with that. Um, but then if you take the, uh, the simulation hypothesis and you go, okay, this is how God brought everything into being, and it's just our better way of understanding that, then the Bible stands. And so what we're seeing here is, again, the scriptures are created in such a way with the word day and yom and evening and morning. And we have just this really kind of interesting Swiss army knife of a book that no matter what happens within the free will of man, that it still remains relevant. And again, this is a huge, huge miracle. But then I think what's interesting too, and it may be a clue, is with day seven. Because if you notice that in each of the days prior to, God is taking something from a chaotic state to an organized state. But on day seven, he rested from creation. He wasn't organizing things. And so it would make sense that the evening and the morning, that language would not be used should that interpretation be correct, that evening and the morning is alluding to um, the state of the realm in which we live and how it's being developed. And so the scriptures, again, with its Swiss Army knife mentality, it just works. And it's going to continue to work. And this is, you know, why it's withstood, you know, geocentric belief flat earth belief, round earth belief, the heliocentric model with uh, all these uh, numbers and calculations and the speeds at which everything is uh, moving. And materialism, you know, where you got the Galapagos finches and you got the, the racism and the descent of man in the 1800s. 
and how it uh, stood within there too. And then you, you proceed to where now we're getting into concepts like the simulation hypothesis and it still stands there. While at the same time people that are holding on to um, legacy beliefs, the scriptures are still working within that context as well. And so what we find is that uh, the only way to really attack the Bible is to kind of force feed it into a certain interpretation and then attack that certain interpretation. Uh, however, the Bible, I think intentionally, is not doing that, primarily because it's a relational book. The whole, the whole canon of Scripture is relational. And what God wants us to do is seek His glory and seek Him and understand more about Him. And what he does is he gives us clues, and then what we do is we're able to take that, those clues, and then we're able to form ideas and conjecture and opinion. Now, the, the only place where we make a mistake is when we take something and we become dogmatic with an interpretation. You know, we say, this is the way that the scriptures have to be. And then we begin to defend an interpretation that is, is not really needed to be defended to begin with. One, because it's in light of a certain view of the scriptures. But then two, if God has ordained it and it's survived all the different um, cultures and civilizations and everything that man has misunderstood and everything that man has understood correctly, then it's going to stand and scripture will stand. Now, what we can do is we can use it from an apologetic standpoint, and we can definitely give an argument or uh, we can debate the scriptures. And we should do that because that does bring us closer to God. But in the, at the end of the day, what we really should be doing is understanding more about the, uh, the human condition and quit trying to bend or force the scriptures into something that they don't say and resolve to, you know, name calling or things of that nature. So, uh, so anyway, those are my thoughts for the week. Um, I really do appreciate you listening. Don't forget, if you go to monolove.com, oh, uh, one quick thing. I did post a uh, Michael Heiser video uh, on the website and I noticed that YouTube has taken it down. YouTube's taken a lot of stuff down these days. I mean, there is so much information where it seems like they're just more censoring information uh, that I don't understand personally. Uh, but anyway, I am going to pull it off the website. And if I happen to run across the uh, Michael Heiser video again, I'll repost it. And if we do not find it, then I won't. But please make sure to go to monolove.com, subscribe to our email too, so that you get notifications and special graphics and things of that nature. And if you go to monolove.com and in the upper right hand corner, if you subscribe to a membership, they're free. They'll always be free. All it does is give you access to a uh, basically a, a secure page where I'll post different bits of information. Thank you again for listening to this episode of Monolob. I do look forward to uh, the next podcast, and I just really appreciate the opportunity to bounce ideas off of you. 
for you to take what you feel is good and you can reject what is bad and uh, you know form your own opinions thank you make sure to subscribe to our podcast or visit mindlob.com to learn more